Very good morning to every one of you. It's a joy for me to be here, and first of all, I want to thank God for giving me a safe passage from Malacca and to be here. It was raining yesterday, and there was strong wind, in fact. And in fact, on my way up, there were left and right. Huh? There were floods. Okay? There were water, water level was high. But it was a very clear passage for me, and in fact, there was patches of sunshine you know, on my way up here. So it was a good day to be here. And I also want to thank all of you. It's good to be here. And I think I've not been here, I think at least three or four, at least four years, three or four years. That was the last time I was here. So it's good to see familiar faces. And not so familiar faces, especially the children. They have grown. <laughs> Our time has flies, you know. So it's good to be here and see all of you. Um, my lesson today is the bones of Joseph. Text taken from Hebrew chapter 11, verse 22. Joseph is an interesting character to learn and to know. He may not prefigure Jesus as much as other characters like uh, Moses or like David. But his life, his character, has got much to tell us. If you were to read his chapters that is found in Genesis, uh, you will find your, it's worth your while to learn more about him, and especially our young people to this day. He, as an introduction, he was Jacob's. 11th son, born of Rachel. And his father favored him more than all his other 10 sons. And his father favored his mother more than his first wife, Leah. Jacob, playing favorite, perhaps maybe because, may stem from uh, the fact that his parents playing favorites too with their children. Isaac favors Esau, while Rebekah, mother, favors Jacob. And this favoritism has run deep in the family from Isaac and right now even in Jacob. Favoritism destroyed the family. And you can see that it is very clear in Jacob's family. So this has caused a rift between Joseph and his other brothers. So when an opportunity came, they sold him. They want to get rid of Joseph. They sold him to the traveling Ishmaelite, and in turn, he ended up in Egypt as a slave to Potiphar, who, is a, who was an important official to the Pharaoh at that time. Despite being away from home, away from his family, God was with him. Genesis chapter 39 verse 2. Not sure how much he knew about that because he left home at the age of about 17. And since then, he spent most of his young adult life in a foreign land, away from home. He missed his father very much. His father made him a special coat. You can see that, you know, he had a special bond with him. I am sure while he was away, he missed his father very much. 
and also his blood brother, Benjamin. But a severe famine, however, had reunited them. And that reunion spreaded uh, the heart of Joseph to tears. Jesus. In the end, Joseph told his brothers, You have meant evil by selling me, but God had meant it good to save life. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph knew that he had been instrumental in God's grand scheme of things. In the end, he knew. Just before Joseph died, he gave a simple instruction to his kinsmen, likely to his nephew or his nieces. Being the 11th, you know, so likely his brothers is all passed away. His instruction was to carry his bones out of Egypt to the land that God has promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24 to 25. He assured them that God would visit them. And when they did, bring my bones along to that land. Joseph himself did not know when would God visit him? Or under what circumstances? But he only knew. He knew for sure that God visited him. That's faith. And no wonder that you find him, this character, in the book of, chapter, the book of Hebrew, chapter 11. The role of faith. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And that's about 1850 BC, 1850 BC. And his body was most likely uh, embalmed according to the Egyptian way of mummification. Okay? And his body, the embalmed body, was placed in an anthropod, what we com normally call coffin, but the, the archaeologists will call it an anthropod. They place it in the anthropod, and that anthropod, that coffin was likely placed in Goshen rather than in some kind of a, you know, under a kind of pyramid of some sort. Likely in Goshen. Since then, every Hebrew of every generation that grew up in Egypt saw that coffin and remembered the word and his word that God would visit them. And that, remember, that his instruction that his bones to be carried out of Egypt to that land. Between these two verses, the last verse of Genesis and the first verse of Exodus, 350 years has passed. About 350 years had passed. Many things had happened in that time period. At first, they lived peacefully in Goshen on their own. Raised their family, worked there on their own. But later, as their number grew, the new king perceived them to be a threat. The new king did not know 
the history of Joseph or the contribution Joseph has made in the past. So he enslaved them and oppressed them with hard labor. It was counterproductive, really, because the more he oppressed, the more they increased. Oppression doesn't work in society at all. In fact, the more you oppress a certain race, the more they will thrive, as you can see in a certain part of the world. The king then ordered infanticide. He instructed the midwife, if there's a baby Jewish boy that was born, kill it. Okay? But the Jewish midwife did not cooperate with the king. It says that, you know, by the time I arrive, the baby is gone. It's been taken away. It is safe. The king was exasperated. So, he ordered that all baby boys be thrown into the river. And that was when Moses was born. The character of Moses appeared. Life in Egypt became very difficult became very dire by the years. Almost all who eventually came out of Egypt had some inkling or remember those difficult years. And in all those years, the Hebrew people were left with only a mummy and a coffin. Joseph's word, promises. The coffin may lay there in Goshen and silent, but that coffin or the bones of Joseph have much to remind the Hebrew people at that time. What did the bones of Joseph remind the people of? Number one, he remind them of the reality of death. Egyptians were known for their afterlife preparation with the elaborate traditional way of mummification. They knew, to be sure, to their credit, they knew that there was life after death. But in ways that is different from the truth. Right? The Hebrew believed that they would be gathered to the people. Genesis chapter 49, verse 29. So every time a Hebrew passed by the coffin of Joseph. He knew that he had once lived, but now he had been gathered. He's gathered now to the to his people. The body of Joseph was a witness that death was no exception to Joseph and to anybody. He may have lived up to the right old age of 110, but many, many people did not. Some were even drowned moment they were born. If one generation uh, represents a year of maybe 30 years, if one generation about 30 years, so at least 10 generations had passed before Moses arrived. Yeah? Think along with me. Okay? Think along with me. So, at each generation, they may wonder, you know, will God come at this time? Will God visit in the lifetime? Or is it just a, a pie in the sky? Something pleasant to think about, 
but it would never happen. So each generation pass, each generation come. Will Joseph's words be realized in my generation, in my life? But the bones of Joseph, quiet as it may be, reminded them that may come from one generation another, but God lives. He never dies. He will come. Okay? Secondly, the second thing that the coffin of Joseph might remind the Hebrew is hope. Okay? Hope. Every Hebrew knew the life story of Joseph, his plight, his faith, his trial, and his final words. They might believe that Joseph, they might believe Joseph uh, that God would visit them. But they just didn't know the manner, the time, and under what circumstances that God would come. Never, never would they expect uh, that God would visit them only 350 years later. And through a royal pretender, Moses, and under severe circumstances. Never would they imagine that or dream of that. Probably God will come with power, with glory. But never would they expect that it would come in such circumstances. But the bone of Joseph kept reminding them the hope that God will surely visit you. So as long as as the coffin remained in Goshen, it reinforced Joseph's hope. It may not reinforce their hope, but it reinforced Joseph's own hope that God would surely come. And so as time passed and as circumstances turned for the worse, the people might have wondered if Joseph was still dreaming. You know the dream that he dreamt about in Genesis chapter 37, which his brother did not believe? His parents also did not believe. So the people might wonder, maybe Joseph is still dreaming. But the bones of Joseph insisted Dreams do come true. Keep your hope alive. God will come. Okay? So the third thing, the bones of Joseph or the coffin of Joseph remind them is the importance of patience. Patience. In about 100 years, before Moses finally led them out of Egypt, uh, the Egyptians oppressed them severely. It became so unbearable that they cried out to God. And God heard them. Okay. Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. It is conceivable that some might have given up. Some might have given up hope on Joseph's word. Some might have even doubted Joseph's word. And to be sure, Joseph in his lifetime, also had his own doubt. He also had his own doubt. He had given up hope of seeing his family again, of seeing his brother again. He had. How so? Because the meaning behind the names that he gave his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, speak of the fact that he had forgotten about his father, forgotten about his family in the land of affliction. He probably had given up hope. 
So Joseph himself had once also given up hope of seeing his father and his brother again. But in a time when their situation, uh, the Hebrew situation became very dire, and their patience stretched thin, uh, the coffin of Joseph reminded them that God was with him through thick and thin. He didn't understand why he had that dream. Why give me that dream? That caused me so much of trouble. In the end, he was sold. In the end, he was enslaved. He didn't understand all that. But in the end, he knew that it was for a purpose. Yes, it had been 350 years. Enslaved beyond words and crushed beyond tears. But the bones of Joseph kept saying, Be patient. There is a purpose. As there was also a purpose in all that he had gone through. And there is a purpose in what he has gone through. God will surely visit you. Be patient. So that's the third. The next point that the coffin might have reminded the people is the pledge. The surety or the pledge. When Joseph told his kinsmen that God would visit them, it was not through a vision that he has received. It was not through a pledge that God had given him. But there was no record. And we don't read about that in the Bible. He had likely learned from it from his father, Jacob. And in all that had happened in his life, and God's past dealing with Jacob. Now, Jacob might have told him about how God had played his role in his life. Okay? How he had bring about um, the fact that God has safely brought him back from Haran to the place where he will be. God had told him that he will give him to give this land to his descendants. So all these things that how they pan out uh, that he knew with great certainty uh, that God would visit them. So it was a historical dealing, a historical fact of what God had done through Jacob and in his own life that he was assured that God would visit them. Now given the dire situation, the Hebrew might find it more and more difficult to believe that the coffin was going anywhere, let alone to the promised land. Right? The coffin might at this point have reminded the Hebrew that Joseph's own brother once disbelieved him too about his dream. But those dreams came through. So in a way, the coffin was a surety, was a pledge of God's coming because of the corpse, because of the body that is in that coffin. How his life had panned out. It was a surety, a pledge that God would come. So Joseph seems to pledge, the coffin seems to pledge them, believe God, I am the living prover that God keeps good. So out of Joseph's coffin, four monumental points, four great reminders, the certainty of death. It will come to everybody. One generation come, one generation will go. Death is reality. Death is real. Okay. 
The second one is the hope of a better future. The third one is the importance of patience while you wait for God's promises to unfold. And the fourth one is the surety of God. So without doubt, uh, the coffin of Joseph was instrumental, like a monument. Uh, okay, like a monument where you see, you know, like Tugu Negara, you know, like some of the places that statue that we had erected. Uh, it was a reminder of their past. And Joseph's coffin was a reminder to the Hebrew people that God keeps his word. There is another coffin. Whom, if you like, that speaks better than the coffin of Joseph. It once housed a body, housed a dead body, but that body no longer in that coffin, in that tomb. It has been risen and to die no more. And that's the tomb of Jesus Christ. No tomb or no coffin in the history of mankind uh, will ever or had ever surpassed the significance of that empty tomb. Similarly, four points. What does that empty tomb of Jesus signify? Remind us of. Number one, the certainty of death. Because no one uh, died today and lived to tell what it's like in the afterlife. So death is very much feared by everyone. Dr. C uh, once asked in our Friday Bible class, now who wants to go to heaven? Everybody thought that. Then he, he reworded, he changed his question a little bit. Then he said, he asked, who wants to go to heaven now? Somehow, not all put up his hand. I, I don't do that exercise like all over here. <laughs> For good reason. Apparently, even the most senior of Christians are not ready to transit to heaven. Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps there is something that they do not know about or understand about in the future realm, or there is still so much to hang on to in this world. Perhaps. But Christianity, it's about letting go. Okay, about letting go of this world. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 20, Do not lay up for yourself treasures here on earth. Moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for your tre yourself treasures in heaven, where it will not be destroyed by moth or rust, and it will not be stolen by thieves or broken in by thieves. Brethren, the only possessions that we will, the only possession that we have, like, that we call our own, that will last forever, is our soul. Think about that. Everything else will be destroyed with fire. Everything else. Because that's what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3. So how odd we take care of our soul. Do we feed it with the best of the organic stuff that we can find in the market? 
or supplement our health with vitamins, this and vitamins, that, our soul will not be sustained by these material, material things. It can only be sustained by the Word of God. Because the Word of God is eternal. Our soul is eternal. And it can only be sustained by the Word of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23 to 25. Therefore, Paul says, set your mind on things above, and not on things that are upon the earth. Washington chapter 3, verse 2. Since death is real, huh? how should we put in perspective? To Joseph, he knew that he would be gathered to his people. To David, he knew that the death of the saints are precious in the sight of God. Psalm 116, verse 15. To Paul, he knew uh, that death would be again to him. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. To John, the Apostle John, he wrote uh, that he knew that he would be blessed. How so? Because he would rest from his labor and his work would follow him. Nothing else will follow him, not the money, not your bank account, not the asset, but his works would follow him. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. To a Christian, it is all the above and more. It is the empty tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died so that he might destroy him who had the power of death. Who is it? Who is it that has the power of death? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, it is the devil. He died so that he can destroy, he can destroy that power of death, that is the devil. And with him destroyed, he also destroyed death itself. And also the sin of death, that is sin. This according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 and verse 56. Man then uh, can be free from condemnation because of the empty tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. This is the result of the empty tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is possible because God did not allow His Son to see corruption when He died. He did not allow that. He raised Him from the dead. God would not raise Him if He would not die. Make sense? Jesus was willing to die. And God raised Him three days after from the dead. Therefore, forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin is therefore possible. Acts 2.38 and Acts 13.38 And resurrection of life now awaits those who hear the voice of Jesus when he comes again. John chapter 5 verse 25 Therefore the fear of death should not, okay, should not have dominion over us. Do not cause us to fear. Death is not something that as a Christian, as a faithful Christian, as one who would understand, 
the empty tomb of Jesus, it should not bring us here. Hebrew chapter 2, verse 15. The coffin of Joseph was a testament uh, that Joseph died. But the empty tomb of Jesus is a testament that Jesus was raised from the dead. So he who follows Jesus faithfully, his tomb will also be empty one day and he will be raised to live and die. The second one, the empty tomb of Jesus Christ brings us hope. As the hope of God visiting the Hebrew was encased in the tomb, in the coffin of Joseph, so the hope of God visiting us, Christ coming again, is also encased in the empty tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter talked about this visitation in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Okay? Peter talked about this visitation. And it may as well be yeah, that God coming to your aid, coming to your favor, helping you in times of need. This is what the Hebrew chapter 4, verse 16 talks about. God helps us, you know. We pray in need, we pray to Him. He will help. We are His children. As father or parents, heard the cries of their children quickly come to their aid. So will our Father do that if we have been faithful unto Him. So this could be the visitation that Peter talked about. But in my sermon, in the context of my sermon here, he refers to Jesus coming again for salvation. And this is talked about in Hebrew chapter 9, verse 28. He will appear again a second time, apart from sin, but unto salvation. Yeah? And hope creates a sphere in which you and I thrive. It's miserable to live without hope. Many took their life because they found that there is no more hope. But to a Christian, there is so much hope. There is so much hope. And this is an environment in which we should thrive. Paul refers to this hope literally as a helmet, as a spiritual helmet. You know, we wear a helmet to protect our head. This spiritual helmet that we wear is to protect our mind against negativity, against hopelessness. With the current issues like uh, transgenderism, no, I fear for my children because these are uh, the raging issue that is going on right now in our society. Especially so in America. You know, my son Abba is right now in America. Initially, when we planned for him to go there, you know, he said, well, you know, it's great, you know, wonderful, you know, the new environment and the church and all. It's a vibrant, you know, a, a, a society, a country. But when these things raged on, don't tell him like, a bit like, you know, get a fear for him. Pray that the influence there, issues like the transgender, transgenderism and abortion, he has to face it, you know. He has to fight it. A young man like him, if his faith is not strong, he will cave in. I fear for that. I pray for his faith all the time. And if you are here in a traditional country such as in Malaysia, it may be spared, but 
you know, accepting in our society through media, through your phone. Be careful with that. Okay? Careful with that. So with the current issues like transgenderism, abortions, uh, one can easily lose hope. Wondering uh, if God is in control or if there's still justice in this world, in Malaysia, if there's still justice against the ungodly. The wicked one seems to get away with murder. This hopelessness, this sense of hopelessness, this sentiment uh, is not new. Right? It's not new. The prophet Habakkuk once had the same sentiment, same conundrum. In the end, he was convinced uh, that God would make it right. But the just, in the meantime, to live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3 to verse 4. In Egypt, Amidst the persecution and crying for lost children, lost child, the coffin of Joseph kept their hope of God's visit alive. Today, the empty tomb of Jesus keeps our hope of his coming again alive as well. And that when he comes, we will receive the resurrections to life. We may be heckled for our stand against immorality, for the truth. We may be blasphemed, we may be called all kinds of names, bigots, homophobia, you name it. You know, for, it's true, you know, if you were in America, if you were, you know, if you were to defend the truth, saying that transgenderism, whatever is wrong, you'd be called a bigot. And you'll be heckled for standing up the truth. So what do people do? They lower their standard of morality. This is sometimes even Christians, especially even our young people. But take to heart our young ones. Take to heart our parents. Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, The suffering of the present time is not worth, are not worth to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed towards us in the future. As well, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for good to those who loved him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Our hope is kept alive by the empty tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the many blessings that a Christian possesses in abundance of is the joy that hope brings. Even in tribulations, Christians can rejoice in hope of glory of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. Many times the apostles right, were beaten and some were stoned for preaching Christ. But they rejoiced. They rejoiced, counted it worthy to suffer him for his name. Acts chapter 5, verse 40 to 41. Paul and Silas, now after being beaten and been thrown into the prison, they sang till midnight. They rejoice because they knew that they counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Now, not that they were indifferent to their life, you know, you know nonchalant or you know the, the kind of a daredevil type. Okay? Not that they are like that, but they knew that their hope in Jesus would not disappoint 
them. Our hope in that empty tomb of Jesus will not disappoint us. Romans 5 verse 5. If you run to Jesus for cover, for hope, you will never be disappointed. He is able to keep that which you have committed unto him until that day. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. The coffin of Joseph was a testament eh, that Goshen was never his final resting place. Shechem was. The empty tomb of Jesus is a testament that the earth is not our final resting place. It is in heaven. The third one. The empty tomb of Jesus gives us or helps us with patience. We could talk about, you know, in the Bible there are many characters that epitome patience. Talk about Job for one. Talk about Daniel for one. Talk about Noah for one. You know, Job lost everything in one day. His investment crashed. His family died with one stroke of a wind. And he left with only himself and the wife. But how did he respond? Marvelously. Naked I came, naked shall I go. God gives, God takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. The same with Noah. From the time that God gave him the instruction to build the ark, because he did not know when the flood would come, but he was been busy, not only building the ark, but he was busy preaching righteousness. For 10 years, for 20 years, for 100 years, he kept preaching righteousness. 100 years is a long time, right, Brother Allen? A very long time. He kept on with it. He preached righteousness. That's what Second Peter chapter 2 said about him. A preacher of righteousness. That's a long time. It's easy to teach the truth. Not so easy to teach the truth with patience. Right? But no one did. It's no wonder, no wonder that the uprightness of Noah, Job, and Daniel were spoken of in one breath by God. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14, verse 20. Okay? Jesus too was patient. Okay, of all people, we can learn from Jesus' patient. And that empty tomb of Jesus belonged to him, one who has been patient with mankind. When a village in Samaria refused to hear or to accept Jesus. Jesus brought, you know, you know, a Jew, if a Jew were to go to Samaria, it's a no-no, because they had no dealing, social dealing with the Samaritan. But when Jesus brought his disciples to one of the villages and taught them, the people refused to hear Jesus. So, James and John reacted to it. Lord, shall we ask for fire? Command the fire from heaven to come down and burn the city. Whoa, you probably had in mind like how Elijah did. The fire came down from heaven 
and consume the sacrifice, the pile of sacrifice. But Jesus patiently replied to the sons of thunder, The Son of Man did not come to destroy, but to save a life. In another occasion, when the Jews disagree with Jesus, they scorn him, they call him all kinds of names. You know, I mean, Jesus will call all kinds of names too. So sometimes we also shouldn't be surprised that we will call all kinds of names. They call him, they call Jesus, he's a Samaritan and he has a demon or a devil. John chapter 8, verse 48. Jesus in response did not talk about the Samaritan, if you notice. He did not defend about the fact that they accused him of being the Samaritan. But he defended himself against having a demon. Okay? Now that's patient. He didn't pick a fight on racial issue. They call him having a demon, that means that he's mad. Right? That is patient. Okay? That is patient. That's Jesus. Jesus' patience was evident too at the cross. He could have summoned 12 legions of angels, right? But he had the mob. He let the mob have his way, have their way. In uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 3. When the nails were being pierced, were being nailed into his, were being driven into his hand, uh, he prayed to God, Father, forgive them. But they knew not what to do. When I think about that, you know, I get a bit teary eyed. In spite of the pain, he he prayed to God and asked God to forgive them. One of the things that I'm not ashamed to tell you is that when I get to heaven, one of the things that I would do is go to Jesus and touch his hand and touch his sight. Hug him and touch his sight. And I would, I would want to bow down his feet and touch his feet. And I want to say to him, thank you for dying for me, for doing this. Did this for me. He was patient with everyone. And when the crowd mocked him, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Amongst him, he trusted God. Let God deliver him. He did not retaliate. He did not revile. He did not threaten. But he committed himself totally. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. The coffin of Joseph reminded the people, Be patient as I was. God will come. The empty tomb of Jesus also reminds us. Also reminds us, in this world you will have tribulations. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In your patience, possess your souls. Luke chapter 21, verse 19. I will come again. John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3. But he promised and he told his disciples. And the last one, the empty tomb of Jesus. Speak of his pledge. 
The coffin of Joseph was also a sort of down payment, a sign of pledge or a kind of like a surety that God would visit the people. It was preserved for over 300 years in Goshen, and then when it was carried out of Egypt, it was guarded throughout the whole journey, the 40-year journey in the wandering, until it came to its final resting place in Shechem. Unbeknownst to the Hebrew, that coffin had become a symbol or pledge that God means what he said and says what he meant. It will not be a surprise uh, that if anyone doubted uh, when they arrived the Canaan's land, uh, when they arrived from it, if anyone doubted about God, about God's promises, someone will probably say, remember Joseph's coffin. It's become a pledge to the people. Okay? The Lord's Supper that we shall partake later on is also a sort of pledge that Jesus would come again. Every time we partake of it, we remember his death, his burial, his resurrection. And every time we partake of it, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, we proclaim his death until he comes. So till he comes, every time we partake of it, he pledged, he gives us a pledge, a surety that Jesus will come again. God made many promises or prophecies in the past. None of them, none of them fell short. 100 years may be a long time, but the flood did come. 25 years may be a long time to Abraham and to Sarah, but the baby did come when he was 100 and Sarah was 19. 350 years may be very long, maybe too long, but God did come in his good time. And there are many other examples. But the greatest of all prophecy, the greatest of all promises was the coming of the Messiah. Okay? His coming. He not only came, but he left an empty tomb. And that empty tomb is a surety or a pledge huh, to Jesus' promise that he will come again. A few years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Jerusalem to visit that city. We enjoyed it very much. And while there, on one slope of Jerusalem, on the eastern side of Jerusalem, there are many, there's a plot of tombstone, very old tombstone. And some of those tombstones were even before Jesus' time. Not far from there, on the northern side of Jerusalem, which is walking distance away, there is another tomb, which Angeline and I had the blessing of going. And of course, there were two, they believed that there were these two, these two tombs tomb, tomb, tomb that Jesus believed to be buried in. No one was sure. But it is somewhere in the northern part of Jerusalem. In that tombstone, great precaution, ah, were taken to ensure that the tomb was not disturbed. That the content of the tomb was not empty. They rolled a heavy stone. They secured it with the governor's seal. And the station, two Roman soldiers guarded. But it was empty three days later. Nothing could stop him, could stop God from raising Jesus from the dead. Since then, 
that empty tombstone has become a beacon of hope and a surety for all Christians that through patience, the dead who hears the voice of Jesus will come forth to receive the resurrections of life. It is my hope that when He comes, every one of us will receive these resurrections of life. If you are not a Christian today, when He comes, when Jesus comes, we would like you to also have the resurrections of life. You can. You can if you believe God. If you believe the Bible is the Word of God. If you repent of your past sins, and if you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, is the Messiah, is the Son of God, and if you were baptized, immerse water, okay? Immerse in water for the forgiveness of sins. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there, arise new, to be a new person, live a new life, living faithfully until the day you are called. And when Jesus comes again, that is when we shall enjoy that resurrection of life. If you are a Christian, but for some reason have not been regular, have been sidetracked, have not been faithful in your service, the good news is, God is merciful. He is faithful and He is just. He will forgive you. He will take away, cleanse away your, all your unrighteousness if you confess the sin and if you make yourself right to God. Today is the day to do the right thing. If you have any of this need, you can talk to any one of us or talk to the elders, those who are in the internet, talk to the elders, to the wonderful people here in Kotak. They will be willing, more than willing, 